What is going on, everyone? Welcome to episode five of the Big Fly Pod with your co-host Christian Myers and myself, Ty Lewin. We have our first interview of the pod with San Diego Padres minor league pitcher Danny Dens. We will also recap the MLB offseason so far from the free agent signings, the rumor mill for other free agents still unclaimed, and a recap of the MLB awards. But let's start off kicking it on over to our boy Christian Myers. Christian. You ran your first marathon. You got to let the people know. How was it? Did you take first place? And uh, hopefully you didn't pass out. Dude, far from first. That's for damn sure. Uh, but <laughs> it was it was actually not, not as bad as I was expecting it to be. Um, you know, training in Colorado is definitely beneficial. I ran it out in Nashville. So once I got down there, able to just get those juices flowing and run for a while because of the elevation change. And then the, um, the adrenaline too just kicked in with everybody running next to you and stuff. So it was, uh, I don't know that fun is the right word for it, but it was, it was good, good feeling to get it done. Good man. Good. Yeah, I was, out of town in South Carolina visiting family, had a wonderful time, but did not endure in any training whatsoever, any marathons. And so I compliment you for that because uh, I do not have any aspirations to do one. But with how this pod's going, who knows? Maybe I might be joining you one day. Well, let's look at it now. Let's flip it on over to the MLB offseason uh, so far, You know, looking at particularly – the divisions that have made the moves so far, starting with the AL West, uh, we'll kind of go line by line here, uh, folks, just kind of going through what our thoughts are on the moves, who we think are potentially going to be valuable pieces for the team's future, and maybe not the best moves, potentially. We'll see if we get into that as well. So starting off in the AL West, we start with the Astros, bringing back 32-year-old relief arm Rafael Montero on a three-year deal for 34 mil, a key piece of that bullpen there in the playoffs for the Strohs. The Angels bring Tyler Anderson, who, after his standout 15-5 and year with the Dodgers, Decides to decline the qualifying offer from the Dodgers, but has decided to stay in Cali with the Angels um, on a on a uh, on a deal. As Martin Perez accepts his qualifying offer to stay with the Rangers, a big piece for the Rangers here moving into the 2023 season, as they are on the block and rumored to take on to try and. Uh, take a lot of these free agents that are currently on the market. Christian, any particular moves there that caught your that caught your eye? The two Texas teams, I think, did a tremendous job, and I think it's going to be valuable for both the clubs and the players. Martin Perez coming off his all-star year, um, it would have been interesting to see what he could have done in free agency, but ultimately electing to stay with the Rangers, I think is going to be a win-win for both. And maybe that will turn into something that becomes a long-term deal for him next year. And then for Houston and Rafael Montero, obviously a key piece of that bullpen throughout the year, especially when Ryan Presley was hurt there in the middle of the season, stepped in and filled that closer role. And he's getting paid super well. Um, to not necessarily be the closer and more of a of an eighth inning guy. Um, so great moves 
there for for them too is for the Astros keeping that pen together and then for Montero to get himself paid really well for just being a a holds guy and not so much of a saves guy and then for the Angels it'll be interesting to see how this move plays out um you know a couple people that I've talked to have been asking well why does why would he turn down the 19 and a half million dollar qualifying offer to take 13 million dollars a year from the angels and i think this is long term going to be a win for tyler anderson because he did have that one really good season last year with la but if you look at the course of his career this this past season was kind of a one-off so for him i think having the long-term long-term contract in place and being guaranteed that money is gonna could be a lot better for him rather than risk the one year big money and go back to normal and then not be able to sign such a lucrative deal like that. So a couple of interesting moves, I think, but um, to the two Texas teams, I think benefit equally with the players. And then the angels deal, I think is more player beneficial overall than it is. To yeah. The me. angels are really interesting too, because they have that room and payroll right now to go after guys like, you know, let's say like a Chris Bassett or uh Senga, you know, the big time player out of Japan, that hundred mile per hour thrower to throw alongside Shohei Otani. I'm really interested to see what the angels can do in reference to their lineup as well. Obviously, you know, they can add those middle of the road guys. They don't necessarily need to add those big pieces because they have those perennial all-stars there in the middle of the lineup and, you know, getting Rondon back and then obviously having Mike Trout back for a full year. I'm really interested to see if the angels can kind of become maybe a potential wildcard team as we've, you know, as, as we all project the Astros to win that division there in 2023, the now moving over to the NL West, uh, looking at three teams there, Padres, they brought back two big arms for their pen with Nick Martinez and Robert Suarez. As I mentioned about Rafael Montero for their big playoff run, of course, with the World Series win championship, Martinez and Suarez were big key pieces for that bullpen there and now have that experience in the playoffs to make them a pivotal piece there if they want to make that World Series run again in 2023. Martinez on a three-year deal and Suarez on a big five-time five-year deal, excuse me, at 46 million. Dodgers bring back a familiar hero and Clayton Kershaw on a one-year $20 million deal. And then the Giants, Jock Peterson accepts the qualifying offer to stay with San Francisco. Both him and Martin Perez, the only free agents so far to accept that qualifying offer. Anything stand out there in that division in particular, Christian? Yeah, I think it's a great move by the Padres for sure. Um, I, I think Suarez still had a few years of team control left on him, so they just gave him that extension right away, which is great. We've seen a lot of teams doing that a lot more lately, giving some of the younger guys extensions earlier than letting them get all the way through their rookie contracts. Um, so good move there. Dodgers, obviously, you have to bring Kershaw back. He's pretty much the face of your organization and has been there his whole career. So um, good on them for doing that. And then Jock Peterson taking the qualifying offer with the Giants, I think, is going to work out well for both sides. Yeah, the, the Jock Peterson move is interesting because we just don't really know what the Giants are going to look like next year. So they the keep that big bat in their lineup with being now familiar with 
San Francisco is going to be a big key piece for them there. Bringing back Kershaw is huge, of course, now with the Dodgers losing um, Tyler Anderson, of course, with Walker Buehler being out and Trevor Bauer. They're really going to have to look towards those, those younger prospects, guys like Dustin May, Tony Goslin, to be those key pieces for them and, and to keep a guy like that who is so obviously loved in that city and so familiar with that ballpark and, and that organization. Keeping a guy like that to be a leader for their starting rotation is going to be key. It's going to be interesting to see, though, can he stay healthy the entire year or are the Dodgers really going to have to start bringing up their top prospects, guys like Bobby Miller and whatnot? I'm looking at the Padres. I made my prediction a couple weeks ago when I said that in the way too early 2023 predictions, I had them winning the World Series, and now it is looking better and better, of course, with adding these key arms. Some of these guys in particular that are also out there, I can see them going after, of course, but I think at the end of the day, the Padres being able to keep familiar foes is going to be great for them. Looking over at the AL East and NL East, the last two divisions to make some uh, key moves here. Yankees bringing back my beloved Anthony Rizzo on a two-year deal that is guaranteed at $40 million. And the NL East, the Mets' first big deal of the offseason off in the MLB as they sign Edwin Diaz to a massive five-year, $102 million deal. Christian, in reference to the Mets there, five years does seem pretty in my opinion, I think it's too long of a deal. I get the money. I understand that Edwin Diaz was tremendous this past year, but why do you think the Mets gave him this long of a contract? Well, Cohen's keep Cohen's going to keep on opening that checkbook, right? And he's already he's shown us that in the couple years since he's had control of the Mets that he's not afraid to go spend it to get the guys that he wants and with Diaz I mean he's only 29 I think or 30 maybe um so they keep him locked in probably for what's going to be left of his prime years and from a financial standpoint of the team uh, I think he's going to be valuable off the field too with his all his publicity stuff that he got last year with the walkout song and everything and um you know I mean he had a a phenomenal year last year. So there's obviously the belief that he can keep that up and keep them moving in the right direction and have a, a safety net really in the back of their bullpen for the next couple of years to come while that, that whole organization is still probably pretty. Yeah. Solid. And I look at that Anthony Rizzo move in particular as obviously a move to try and bring back Aaron judge. You bring back a guy who's a leader in that clubhouse, somebody who has the playoff experience that he has a guy that you can add behind Aaron judge to bring up judges value to force those pitchers to throw him more pitches. So I figured that move was coming. I wanted to see him in a cub uniform here to end his career. I knew that probably wasn't going to be the right move for either side, but Again, Anthony Rizzo staying there in New York, uh, along as we just discussed, and when Diaz now being the key bullpen piece for the Mets for the future. Moving over just quickly to an offseason trade that happened that sparked a lot of conversation about what where the Blue Jays are going to be going here. Teoscar Hernandez has been traded to the Mariners from the Blue Jays for right-handed reliever Eric Swanson and pitching prospect Adam Mako. I apologize if I pronounced that last name wrong. Eric Swanson, maybe not a name that a lot of people know about, but really was a great bullpen piece this year for the Mariners in the back end. 1.68 earned run average, over 53 innings pitch with 70 strikeouts. He was a guy that was the name was mentioned a lot during that playoff series um, against the Blue Jays, for example, that really was something that 
a lot of people saw is that kind of that defying factor for the Mariners versus the Blue Jays being that bullpen. Now, from your perspective, Christian, the Blue Jays making that move, are they now selling away? Are they trying to maybe buy other guys? I've heard, you know, rumors about Nimmo being a potential ad that they look to make here in free agency. Like, where do you see the Blue Jays going from here? Like you said, I think that it just opens up a little bit of room for them to make some additions. Um, that lineup, even without Teoscar Hernandez in it, still has some of those big bats, and they've still got some young guys that are coming through the organization who can fill in there. But ultimately, I think that the reason for making this trade in particular was to try and clear up some space to go out and try and get a, a bigger piece in that outfield. Yeah. And another thing that I noticed about this trade too, that was when I was doing a little bit of research that I thought was interesting was that you look at, of course, that Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero and some of these younger prospects that they have are going to require some big paydays here very, very soon. Also to Alex Manoa, who starts to come up here to arbitration. These are guys that they need to, of course, keep for their future if they're going to be looking to be a perennial powerhouse in the AL East. And Teoscar Hernandez, while, of course, a 25 home run guy last year, starting to get there up in age in the era of the three outcome uh, baseball that we see now in the MLB, when, of, co- of course, home runs being something that comes from you know many different uh, aspects or many different pieces of a team, I can see them trying to find some guys, especially in this uh, offseason, that you know can make up for those numbers that Teoscar had given. But I think that now, like with the Jays, what they saw was that, hey, we can have Teoscar Hernandez in our lineup. That'd be great. But one, the payroll is just not going to be there when he wants to get paid here potentially in the next year or so. And then also, two, now they bolster their bullpen a little bit. I know Eric Swanson, only one year truly of showing that success – but in my eyes, you come off of a year of success, and now you're able to bring, you're able to come off of that momentum and potentially be a key piece there going into 2023 for the Blue Jays. So very interesting move there. Um, really interested to see now what do the Jays do here for the rest of the offseason. The Mariners, man, man, they're going to be dangerous next year, and you know potentially look to take on the Strohs for that uh, AL West title. Big names left to sign here, Christian. Aaron Judge, rumors now point to him staying in New York, but now all these issues are coming out here about the Mets and, and the Yankees and what, you know, potentially there was, you know, I, I I guess who knows what was going on there. I just think that uh, Cohen has really sparked some interesting drama throughout baseball, which is always a good thing in my eyes. So right now, Aaron Judge, in your opinion, through what you've seen so far, is he a is he a Yankee? Is he a Met? Or is he elsewhere? I think he'll probably stay in New York as a Yankee. Um, I, I don't I, I don't know if if I'm Brian Cashman. I don't know how I would be able to let him walk away and try and justify it with any means. Um, I think that they've got they've got some pieces in the outfield that are coming up uh, like. Jason Dominguez is one of those big time prospects that they've been super excited about for years to come. And um, that's great, but I don't think he's a guy that you would let a player like judge walk away for. So I think that New York is going to New York being the Yankees is going to do everything that they can to bring judge back. And I think at the end of the day, it's where, 
Judge probably wants to be yeah. as well. Moving on to the pitchers uh, or the free agent pitchers, you know, you're looking at Verlander, Degrom, and Rodon. Obviously, Kershaw is off the market now. That really opens the table for a lot of teams and what they want to do now. One particular team, of course, is the Rangers that a lot of teams are, ta- or a lot of people are talking about in the rumor mill of being able to add one of these big time arms. Obviously, they are not scared to pay based on what they did for Simeon and um, and the rest of that lineup as well. Now, Justin Verlander rumored, rumored, of course, to want in the ballpark of three year, hundred twenty million dollar range, like Scherzer. Comes off that Tommy John surgery, gone for two years, wins an AL Cy Young. In your eyes, Christian, does he deserve that money? I mean, it's justifiable for sure um, to do what he did this past year and show that he's still got it and is one of, if not the best pitcher still in the big leagues. Um, I think it, you know, he could definitely make a case for himself that that I can do this, but he's also going to be hitting that 40 year 40 year age mark um if he does get this contract it'll be during that time frame and you know it's it's you see a lot a lot of regression obviously in pitchers as they get into their sort of mid 30s so going into the 40s is talking a whole different ball game and you know I don't know too many guys who have pitched into their 40s and had a lot of success I mean maybe um, Clemens and Jamie Moyer, I think, are the two names that I could think of, and Nolan Ryan probably. Um, but, you know, it'll be interesting, I think, to see that kind of – I mean, I know I said in the last pod that we did that I could see him getting a, like a one- or a two-year deal or one of those one-year deals with the opt-in on the at the end of it. Um, but a three-year deal would be interesting, and I bet that there's a team out there that's willing to give it to him. It'll just be interesting to see which team that is. Um, so maybe, who knows, maybe the Tigers come back in and, and say, let's finish it out where you started and bring him back on a deal like that. Would that would be interesting. And you know, Scherzer right now, age-wise, at 38, so kind of in that same ballpark of age as well when looking at that, uh, looking at that potential contract. Now, Jacob Degrom, of course. Now, rumors are swirling, or swirling that Jacob, De, uh, that the excuse me, that the Rangers are targeting Degrom now that Kershaw is off the market. That would be pretty wild because now you have your ace, you have John Gray as your number two, and Martin Perez as number three. You kind of can obviously, of course, put Mar- excuse me, put Martin Perez your number two, John Gray number three. Is that, is that a team that DeGrom should be looking at because doesn't it seem like he wants a shorter deal, or what do you see in there? Yeah, I don't see why he wouldn't look there. I mean, they've shown that they're going to be – they're doing what they can to become competitive, right? They gave Seeger and Simeon a lot of money last year. They're looking to throw a big check to DeGrom possibly, and they've got some young players that could – come up within the next year or two and be very good for them so it's an intriguing place I think to go and pitch I don't know in my opinion I don't know why teams would want to open up the books for DeGrom just because of his health and how injury prone he is over the year you're paying to get a lot in such a short amount of time um so that that'll be an interesting one, but I think it sounds like 
he's probably not going to be back in Queens as a Met next year. So I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see yeah, where the he Rangers, goes. I mean, their lineup is starting to come come full circle. I think that's what Simeon and Seager saw. Guys like Sam Huff that are coming up big, big catching prospect for the Rangers. Of course, Josh Jung being a very, very talented thirst. Uh, third baseman and of course guys like Nate Lowe uh, and Dolas Garcia so you know don't don't just count them out for just Jacob deGrom I would project them to be somebody who could potentially get another big time free agent here Um, figure finishing out the last uh, batch of free agents here kind of putting them all together Carlos Correa Trey Turner Dansby Swanson Zander Bogarts really teams that are guys that can be on teams that either they were with before, of course, or going to be seeing a new hometown. Correa and Turner are linked to the Cubs, Phillies, Orioles. Name them. They're probably in a potential option. The Phillies have really started to ramp up those talks, uh, according to many different sources. Of course, now with them uh, relieving or uh, removing Gene Segura from the lineup, being able to move over Stott over to second base, or you know, vice versa, depending on who they want to get, is looking pretty good there for the Phillies, of course, with Dansby Swanson and Xander Bogarts. Xander Bogarts, according to sources, had received two different offers this year from the Red Sox to keep him as their as their long term option there, along with Dansby Swanson. At the end of the day, the Braves are still going to probably be that number one favorite again. We just don't know at this point where guys are going to be going. Right now, from what you're hearing, Christian, out of those shortstops, any kind of wild cards that you've been hearing that are interesting, or are you hearing those general or the or the mainstays that are these guys are where they're going to go? It's been pretty much exactly where everybody expects them to go. I think I saw something the other day about the Twins being ready to make Correa one of the biggest offers that they've ever made any player in the history of the franchise. So that is intriguing to see how that would be um, accepted or declined by Correa and what exactly he'd be looking for, if it even happens. But um, I think until things really start picking up, probably beginning or middle of December, um, I mean, everything's going to be pretty much he could go any one of these eight places. And um, that's what we're going to keep hearing until – one of them signs, and then teams start locking in on one or two of these guys to get into their organization. Yeah, the last two here on the list that are obviously intriguing options for teams, Wilson Contreras, many people are saying either the Astros or the Cardinals, uh, based on the sole fact that the Astros now are looking to have that catcher to to fulfill that catching uh, position with an absolute stud who can do, obviously, from the offensive and defensive side. Now, from Brandon Nimmo's standpoint, the trade with Teoscar Hernandez is really interesting now because, of course, now the Blue Jays are going to be looking for outfielders because they don't really necessarily have a lot of options at this point. So Brandon Nimmo to the Jays has started to populate across the rumor mill. From your standpoint, Brandon Nimmo, do you see him as his best fit being in Toronto or do you see him elsewhere? Uh, I actually think the White Sox would probably be a better fit for him. Um, but I think there's going to probably be three three teams and the Mets, Blue Jays, and White Sox that want to go in on the Nimmo sweepstakes. And then one of the other two will probably 
um, once Nimmo signs, start going after Conforto is is my guess on how that's going to unfold. And then um, for Wilson Contreras, I saw today actually that the Cubs are prioritizing getting Christian Vasquez in there as their new catcher. So if that happens, um, maybe it just a little free agent swap between the Cubs and the Strohs behind the Yeah, the, the, the Cubs right now do not have many options really at the catching position in their farm system. They had a guy or uh, Amaya there was a big time prospect and has seemed to drop down a little bit uh, based on his results through the minor leagues so far. And so I don't know if they're looking to just go cheap option until they can really fulfill, you know, until they really feel like they have the team that they need in order to go sign a big free agent. I would love for them to get one of the uh, shortstops currently on the market. Honestly, at the end of the day, it's all going to come down to what is Jed Jed Hoyer and, the, and that team. What do they want to do? Are they still looking at 2024, 2025 really being a year they could potentially come back? Or are they looking to start to kind of build things up? Because that farm system is starting to look really intriguing. So that's our recap there of the free agents. Now looking at the recap of the awards. Um, Cy Young-wise, predictable. Justin Verlander and Sandy um, and, and Alcantara. Sorry, I totally just butchered that name. Uh, to the uh, from the Marlins, along with Verlander from the Strohs for your AL and NL Cy Young Rookie of the Years, Julio Rodriguez and Michael Harris. Uh, a lot of people were debating that pick. Of course, you and I had debated on the last show of uh, Harris versus Strider for that option. Uh, I'm guessing it came down just to the fact that it was just totally based on uh, the standpoint that he's a you know obviously an everyday player. But again, that both guys were more uh, than than op, you know more more than optional to be that uh, rookie of the year, manager of the year, Terry Francona, along with Buck Showalter. That made me happy. I'm not going to lie when I saw that. And then the NL and AL MVP, of course, came down uh, here today before the podcast. Paul Goldschmidt from the NL, Aaron Judge from the AL. Pretty easy picks. Christian, any thoughts on any of those awards? No, I think it's... Pretty much as expected for the most part. I know that we we really like Brandon Hyde from the Orioles, but Terry Francona, that's awesome to see him get that. Um, you know, I had the pleasure of meeting him a little bit back in 04 and 05 and getting to be around him. And, I mean, awesome guy. So good for Tito on that. And especially with them winning the division and going to the playoffs, um, you know, you kind of expect that that's going to be your manager of the year. National League Manager of the Year, I doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me how a uh, a club who dropped an eleven game lead in their division <laughs> at the end of the year could be the Manager of the Year. But um, you know, we we don't get the vote yet, so it doesn't matter to us. Or well, it doesn't matter what we say. I mean, but interesting. Congrats to all the award winners, even Buck. And um, yeah, that's that's yeah, all I got I on that. Well, folks, that's our recap of the awards along with our free or you know, recap of what's been going on so far in free agency and what's potentially come. But Christian, I think we gotta kick it over to our first interviewee, a guy that I played with growing up in my hometown, was one of the biggest stars in our hometown, of course, moved on to play college baseball at the division one level and is now uh in the minor leagues for the San Diego Padres. So how about we kick it over to Danny Dens? Yep. Ladies and gentlemen, Danny Dens. 
What is going on, everyone? Today, we welcome our first interviewee, someone uh, very special to my heart, a guy, a former teammate of mine, uh, a guy who I viewed as one of the best players to come out of our high school, Dundee Crown High School in Carpentersville, Illinois, a standout lefty pitcher who took his talents to the great city of Memphis uh, and pitched a awesome career for the University of Memphis Tigers. Um, to then make all of the D.C. Charger family very, very proud and to be signed by the San Diego Padres back in June of 2020 and where he is currently a part of their high A affiliate, the Fort Wayne Tin Caps. What a baseball name. Welcome to the Big Fly Pod, Danny Dennis. Appreciate you having me. I will clap for my guy. <laughs> Appreciate you having me. I will clap for my guy all day, man. So, Danny, your your career is awesome. That's why I really wanted to have you on here as our first guest, because I think it's an awesome story, but kind of just walk us through your path to where you're at now. I, obviously the kid from the, our small little league back in Illinois to now being on the big stage, walk us through that journey. Yeah. Uh, well, a pretty crazy journey. I mean, uh, let's just say it wasn't a straight path by any means. Uh, yeah. So I mean, me and you first met well, like Little League back in Tri Cities, Thilu, and uh, yep, yep, yep. So that was, I mean, I was what, like, I was nine, ten to like twelve years old, probably. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, started that. I mean, kind of before we played at Metaldale, or I did, and then we combined uh, the two leagues together, basically. So yeah, start there, and then go through like my first stages of the like, travel ball. Uh, I think I was 11, like the Dundee rookies, if you remember that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I do, I sure <laughs> yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So playing there, and then basically just like as I kept progressing in my game, um, it was just trying to get that better competition. So from there, I moved on to another travel team, the McHenry Outlaws, and played with them for about like two-ish years, three years. And then I heard about this team that was more of like an exposure-like uh, travel team and I figured like I had a chance to play college baseball and uh, they were called elite baseball training so kind of tried out with them and I made the team um, I was like 14 U, and ever since then was more like about exposure about kind of just like really upping my game and from there 14 15 16 U, and partially up 17 you played with them and a lot of the tournaments were those perfect game tournaments you go to, uh, like I said, a lot of exposure type stuff. And uh, I remember it was January of 20, was it 14, I believe. Um, had, there was a, like a uh, camp, I think, somewhere in Illinois. I can't remember exactly. But that's where Memphis first saw me. I was 15 years old. Uh, throwing was indoors. It was in Illinois cold. I mean, and next like couple of days, I got like, an email from them and it's because like back then it was, they couldn't reach out to you because of the whole timeline issue with the NCAA and my age. So I'm like, basically what they had to do was like leave their phone numbers down there and just hope you call. So I called them and he was like, good. Like I was expecting you to call me. So I talked with them and, uh, yeah, I mean, ever since then, the ball just started rolling. Uh, I went on a visit in February with them, and uh, I just everything about it I really liked. It was definitely a culture change, being from the Midwest and then going to the Mid-South. It was different, but I really enjoyed it. 
And the biggest thing that sold me about Memphis was the coaches. And it was just that they thought they would, they think of their players more as like family rather than just a number on their back trying to help them win. And that was something that like I really liked. And of course my parents really liked. So I committed there, uh, August of 2015. Um, yeah. And then when I went there, I played my four years there. Uh, my college career was, I mean, anything, but like a straight line, let's say that like, uh, I had my ups and downs, a lot of downs, but like I really learned a lot through those downs. And um, like freshman year, I think I pitched like 21 innings. Sophomore year, I had a bigger role, pitched like 50 maybe, I think around like 48, 50 innings. Junior year, my draft year, um, kind of kind of got to me the whole part of like where I could get drafted. I mean, it's been my dream since I was playing Moss 4. I want to play baseball for a long time. And I think that like I put the pressure on myself and it kind of affected me mentally. So after that season, I kind of like had to take a, a step away from baseball for a second just to get away, try and like recollect my, like my mentals basically. And, um, going into my senior year, uh, I took more of like that leadership role. I mean, I feel like it was just like typical for a senior and I felt like I just, have that confidence in myself. I want to like help these guys out, help this team out. I mean, three years of college baseball. I mean, I wanted to, to win. So it's going in that senior year. I had a different approach, uh, mentally, physically, like I want to, I wanted to play professional baseball. So I did everything I could possibly like got their first one there, try to be the last one to leave, just set that example, but not just do that, but also because I, I, I needed to, I mean, I'm five foot 10, um, was undersized. I needed to do more than the guy next to me to get that opportunity. And, uh, I wasn't gonna like take that for granted because I knew what I had to do to get there. Um, so going into like, my senior year, um, started off well. Um, it was going really smooth, like smoothly so far, like pitching, uh, pretty well. And then of course, COVID, then COVID happened. Uh, I remember we were just finishing up our midweek series at Middle Tennessee, um, about literally about to head to Indiana. Um, pulled over the bus because we saw all the stuff happening on Twitter, and like basically just like the the Pac-12 was said that they're done for the season, and then like the Big Ten, ACC, and then the SEC. They were like, oh, well, all these big conferences are shutting down. We're gonna be done. So, yeah, we basically got our whole season got banged. We played 17 games. I pitched like 18 innings and we get back to Memphis and coaches like, yeah, like right now the season's pretty much done. He's like, there's just like this thing going on and you guys are free to go home. So we went home, finished my schooling at home, uh, and well, it's going back, like when he told us that it was just like, like, what, like, how do you, how do you prepare for that? Like, I mean, how many, so many, uh, like you're just so you're ready for the season. You prepared all fall, all winter and just for it to get shut down was something that, I mean, emotionally I couldn't handle. Like I bawled. I was like, dude, like it's my senior year. Like, what am I going to do? Like. And at this time, it was before, like, okay, they'll give you an extra year. 
So all the unknowns creep into your mind. You're like, well, what's going to happen now? Like, did I do enough? Did I show enough to these pro scouts that I'm deserving of getting signed, drafted, whatnot? Um, so, yeah, I mean, of course, all that stuff crept into my mind. I'm sure a lot of the other guys, too, um, around the country. And, uh, yeah, so I go home. Like I said, finish my schooling, uh, graduate. So I did a virtual graduation, which, I mean, is whatever. I got, I got my degree, so... It's fine. Uh, so then after that, it was strictly just training. It was uh, from March all the way to the draft in July. It was like literally I spent my time just training um, with my agents like were there. Like they kind of like helped me out throughout all of this. So that was also very beneficial to have them. Um, so then after um, so basically after the season ended, they closed all connection or all contact with uh, scouts teams. Like they couldn't contact you um, until a certain time period, like at once like the season shut down. So like I was talk, I talked to about like three or four teams in person and then like had like some calls uh, with some teams. But once I was, once like uh, the, what's like the whole, like no connection ended uh, teams that were able to reach out to us again. Um, so I ended up talking to about like nine teams. So that was also a little better knowing that like teams were still reaching out to me. Teams were, uh, were still interested. Uh, yeah. But like the Padres were the team that like reached out to me the most. I probably talked to their guy like six, seven times throughout the, I would say like the fall through draft time. So that was um i was really happy about that um also another team was the cubs they were pretty interested in me so that was uh like of course that would have been awesome that would have been special so like (laughs) yeah of course growing up a cubs fan would have been that would have been really cool uh and all but um so like after the so then the draft turned to a five round draft no one knew what what, like that was going to be like so it turns to five rounds and then uh we're like i'm like well crap like what's going to happen now? And then, uh, then we find out about the whole like post draft signing period for free agents. Um, they was like a little bit different, like instead of, uh, I think they, well, they capped it at like 20,000 first, like first, uh, undrafted free agent signees, they capped it at that. And then, uh, so after the five round draft, there was a two day waiting period. So no, like, again, no connection or, no communication with teams at all. So I think the draft ended on, it was like a Friday or a Thursday. So Friday, Saturday, literally just sitting in the dark, nothing, you don't know what's going to happen. And then it opened the, then the signing period opened at 8 a.m., which 8 a.m. Central time for me. So I got up at like seven o'clock and I'm like just doing like, I get my, like my coffee, my breakfast, like I go outside, I'm just chilling. Eight, or eight o'clock rolls around. Um, like I talked to my agents a little bit. And then like literally a little bit after that, I get a call from the Padres. And they're just like, like, hey, like, how's everything going? Like, um, it was the Aries guy I've been talking to. And he was just like, I wanted to like be the first one to call you. And um, just talking to you how I was doing. He's like, we want to make a deal with you and everything. So he's like, I'm going to call, I'm going to call you right back. Um He's like, I'm going to talk with the rest of the guys and we're going to get this going. I was like, okay. 
So then my agents call me again and they say like um, that they had a couple teams call them, the Cubs being one of them, but no one put an offer on the table yet. So then the scout for the Padres calls right back and he's like, Hey, like, here's this offer. It's like, do you want it? And I was like, dude, like, this is great. Let me call my agent real fast. Cause I have to confirm it with them, of course. And so I literally yeah. call them real. Yeah. You're like, yeah. let's go. <laughs> so go call them. And they're like, what, how, like, how do you think about it? Like, what do you think about it? I'm like, I, I think it's good. I'm like, what do you guys think about it? They're like, I think it's a great fit for you. Like the, how many, however much times they reach, however many times they reach out to you and everything and put that time and effort into like contacting you and like, let's do it. So I call them back and get the deal done. And like, yeah, I was just with, I was with my mom, dad, and my brother, it was like eight, 10 AM. And yeah, I signed with the Padres there and it was just surreal. Like, it was insane. Uh, something like you just can't fathom, like they like can't put words to. It's just like how the, all like the setbacks and all like the failure you've been through. And it's like, now like, you got this done. Like it's the right step in the right direction. So it was truly amazing. Very, very cool. Now with that, um, little just side question here with the year that you got dra- or 2020, when you got drafted with the COVID, uh, situation mm-hmm. and everything, what I what I understand is is that there of course normally is there's obviously somewhere north of twenty to twenty five rounds in the MLB draft, mm-hmm. guys get drafted and there's a bunch of was it the wild wild west when it came to you guys only had five rounds and then you have all these guys that still are looking to be drafted because you had guys that that's why college baseball is was insane the last couple of years is because you had so many five, fifth year guys mm-hmm. like were guys were they sort of just calling everybody and everybody to see, are you staying? Are you going like, how'd that all look? Because it seems like it'd be insane to me. Honestly, like that's a good way to put it. Like it kind of was like the wild, wild west. Like everyone, like it was honestly like when like the clock struck eight, I could just imagine how many phone calls were being like thrown out and like however many like conversations were going on then. Um, it was crazy. Cause I mean, like you said, like the five round draft, some teams had some compensatory picks, so maybe you get six guys. So then after that, it was um, like, okay, now we got to like, call these guys, whether it be juniors, seniors that didn't get drafted or whatnot. And yeah, it was like, it was literally insane. I think we only ended up signing, like it was like six of us or seven of us. So like, it, um, like it wasn't like a ton, but then there were some teams that were signing 10 plus guys. Like it was crazy and like, yeah, it's crazy. it was like, like, wow. And even that is, yeah, like even this year, like this year with the 20 rounds, there was some teams that signed like 15 more and it's like, holy crap. Like it's like, it's insane because this year there was like, there were, they raised the cap on uh, like what they can sign their free agents with after the draft. I think it's like 125,000. And there and all that money didn't like affect your bonus pool or like your draft lottery money, like the money that you get for the draft. Like it was nothing. It like it didn't add on to that. So it was literally free range, free game. So it was a little bit different in my my year than it was like this year. Yeah, yeah, 
crazy. And Danny, with that, do you think that there was any benefit for guys in a similar position to you as seniors? Because oftentimes in the regular draft, you know, you get down to those eight, nine, ten rounds, and then beyond when the senior signs are getting, you know, maybe between a thousand and seventy five hundred at the max. So even though obviously the situation was what it was and not ideal by any means, do you think that it helped guys sort of similar to you be in that senior draft or senior free agent signing to be able to have a little bit more leverage to get more since all the guys underneath you could go back to school for the following year? Oh yeah, 100%. And like, that was the one thing that like, yeah, like it helped me. I mean, I'm like, I made more money than it would have been in a normal, like normal year draft. Like that was one thing that really like I thought was awesome that like really helped me. So yeah, the leverage was huge because I had the opportunity to go back for my fifth year and like they knew that. So like, it was like a team, if a team like wanted you and like, they would have to like up their pricing rather than like you, like you said, like a normal draft, you're getting maybe 1,000, 5,000. So that was something that was also different um, in that 2020 year. So it definitely helped out a ton of guys. And plus the graduating too, like that was even like the, like the icing on the cake right there, which would made it a lot easier. Yeah. And, and so your career, like many, many pitchers these days, it almost feels like it's something that every pitcher that has run through the grind of making it to the big leagues and enduring, you know, all this work, uh, especially through all the years of pitching, whether that being high school, travel ball, college, you know, overseas, wherever it is, you know, not to put a damper on the mood, but you and you decide to do Tommy John surgery on September 22nd of this year. Like I said, it seems like so many pitchers go through this and then it almost adds that extra year of life. You know, Christian and I have talked about this on the podcast before, like with a guy like Justin Verlander, mm-hmm. for example. Like, does that add a couple years to his career now versus what it could have been if he decided not to get it? So just walk us through kind of what does the journey look like for you? What are the Padres having you do in order to get back to top to top shape? And then when do you expect to uh, be back here on the field? Yeah, so um, crazy thing. So my um, – and my surgery was like a little bit different and like how like how I got the surgery leading up to the surgery was different uh, because I didn't have like that one throw where it was like it sailed and I'm like, oh, crap, like I blew out. It was really it was really weird. So after talking with the doctor, um, he thinks I pitched this whole year without a UCL. And yeah, just yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, Whoa. it was – and looking back on my first season in 21, like after, like after like looking back on it and then like seeing like remembering certain things, I think I may have had like stuff then too because I also had uh, like arthroscopy, uh, arthroscopy surgery on my elbow, like basically cleaning out my elbow. Like all, I have bone chips like all around the back of my elbow, around the front. And then I also had um, basically like around here, this area, I had in my UCL a bone chip, probably like the size of like my thumbnail lodged, stuck in my UCL. 
it was the weirdest. Like the doctor said, oh. and this was in, and this is in college at the time so, that you had the surgery. No, this was the same surgery I had. No, this, this is this is yeah. this is yeah. same surgery. Yeah, this okay. is the same okay. surgery. Yeah. Gotcha. So basically, the arthroscopy and then also UCL reconstruction was at the same time. So my elbow was like they said they basically set a giant grenade well off in my elbow, and it was crazy because like. Cause I remember having some, like some stuff like in, in 21 where like my tricep was really tight and like my arm wouldn't like fully straighten out or like flex, like the range of motion that to the average. And I didn't think anything of it. And I remember going into this season, 22, uh, same thing. Like I remember like my, like elbow extension and my flexion were like not good. And I'm like, what the heck? Cause like, I remember trying in the off season trying to do like front squats and like, I couldn't even get the range of motion to do a proper front squat, like unracking it, unracking it. And I was like, dang, like either my triceps really tight or something's going on. And kind of college, I'd be front squat all the time and I'd be fine. Like I never felt anything. So yeah, it was, that was really weird. So I go through the whole year I'm throwing, I get halfway through the year and I remember like my elbow was got like swollen. Like I couldn't even like touch my bone and it was like, I'm like, what the heck? So I went to the trainer. We do some like stuff on it. Like basically just like dry needling, um, and like different like mobility to help like get my range of motion back. So like I ended up feeling better. So I throw and same thing. Like right after I throw my elbow gets like locked up, tightens up and I'm like, all right, well, what the heck's going on? And, so I was in Lowy at this time. Uh, then at the end, of, towards the end of the season, I get called back up to high A. And I remember throwing the first, my first outing there, like three-ish innings. And I'm like, dang, my arm's kind of hanging, killing. Like, what's going on? And then I'm getting literally into the last week. Like, we're, uh, we're playing, who are we playing? We're in Cleveland. We're playing, uh, Gosh, I can't remember the town we were in, but I know we were in close to a suburb of Cleveland. We were playing in the last week of the season. And I remember, like, when I was out, out there when I was throwing, like, my arm just kept tightening up. Like, first two innings were fine. But I remember the second inning, I was, like, kind of, like, and like, oh, gosh, like, my arm's not feeling too hot. Go back up for the third inning. Like, I feel a little some of my forearm. And then next, so then the next day, I wake up, and my arm is in excruciating pain, like, nothing I've ever felt before in my life. Like I normally, I'm not one to like, complain about my arm. I know everyone has arm issues and they're going through the same thing and no one wants to hear like, Oh dude, my arm's hanging. You know, this is how it is. I mean, you just keep that to yourself and just roll. But, uh, yeah, I wake up and my arm literally wouldn't, I couldn't, my arm was like there. I couldn't, that's as far as I can go straight. And that was as far as I could bend it. And I'm like, yeah, all right. I, go, I went to the trainer. He thinks it's just uh, like probably like bone spurs and stuff like that. So I go get my x-ray and the doctor sees like a bone spur that has like a crack in it. And he's like, right when he walks in, he looks at it and he's like, uh-oh. And I'm like, that's not what you want to hear from a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. And, uh, yeah, so that was the x-ray and then I fly back to Arizona to get more imaging, like CT scan, uh, x-ray or not x-ray, uh, CT scan and, uh, 
um, what's it called? Oh, what's that? I forgot that other one's called. Uh, they put you like in the tube, you know? The MRI. MRI. Yeah. The blank. Yeah. The MRI. Yeah. And, um, uh, so then I get my imaging back and the doctor gets, I go on a call with him like two days later and he's like, Danny, like, I don't know how you pitched this year because yeah, your UCL is fully torn and you have all this like bone chips and bone spurs around it. So he's like, I don't know how you did it. And I'm like, they literally didn't think anything of it. So yeah. So go and get surgery. Uh, took about like two and a half hours or so. That's my first time being put under either. Like I've never been first surgery ever. So I'm kind of nervous, didn't know what to expect, but doctors did a great job. And yeah, so far rehab's going really well. The range of motion I have right now is probably the best it's been in two or three years in my arm. Like haven't, yeah. So yeah, a lot of the uh, exercises right now, so I'm about two months out from surgery. So right now it's just like a lot of like scapular work uh, a lot of shoulder work and a lot of forearm stuff. So, and then that, like now, since I'm like able to put a little bit of weight on, I'm able to like get on the floor and do some like stuff, uh, like hip mobility, um, stuff like that. But my weight room work is strictly just lower body. Like can't literally load, I can't load anything yet. So it's probably going to be a little bit longer for that, but yeah, so far feeling good. Uh, PTs have been awesome, really helpful of course. And, just like really there's great people and I mean, it's not their first rodeo. So they know how it goes. Well, that's good, man. It sounds yeah, like man. you're yeah. making a, going to be making a good recovery and coming back strong for next year and leading into next year, you know, we're going to be seeing a couple of rule changes up at the, big league level that they started implementing in the minor leagues and testing out with you guys. So with some of those, I'm curious as to what you thought about some of the in-game rules, like the pitch clocks um, and all of all that other stuff that came with it and what your thoughts are from the standpoint of having gone through it and how it will affect the big league level, if you think it'll have any effect up there. Yeah, so basically the rules that we that were implemented for us in high A was the pitch clock, of course, and then it was the two step off or two disengagements. And um, that's per batter, per batter. And uh, those, I mean, so at first the clock had everybody off, just off their game. I mean, so basically when no one's on base, it was like for us, it was 14 seconds to pitch the ball like before zero the ball had to be out of your hand and with a guy on base I think it was 18 seconds or so 19 seconds so I mean just that whole aspect of it just like changed like a lot of stuff because I mean from the guys that I've talked to and whatnot like yeah sure it helped speed up the game a little bit but um trying to hold runners on was almost impossible like you had to literally be a one three five or one four of the plate if you wanted a chance, and sometimes that didn't even work. Um, so, and then just literally like catching yourself, like you come set, catching yourself, looking at the clock to see what the time was, 
and then trying to look at the mid again throw. So it's like, that's not something you normally like. It's not, it's not what you do. Like, it's just something that like, I don't know. It was just crazy. I wasn't like, I liked it, the fact where it helps me at the game, but then I didn't like it because like you got us looking at a clock while I'm trying to execute this pitch. It's like, I don't want to be doing that. And then for the hitters they had, so they had to be in the box set at nine. I think it was eight, eight seconds. They had to be in the box at eight seconds. And we had some hitters we played against and some of our guys get called for not being in the box at eight seconds and to strike. And if a pitcher doesn't deliver the ball at zero or right before zero, it's a ball. And I've had a couple of those called on me too. Just like you just don't like sometimes like you get the ball back and you're on the mound and you're getting right, you're getting set and you look up and you see five seconds. So you got to hurry up and rush and get set. So you have that aspect of it too, where you got to rush. And also if you and your catcher aren't on the same page for signs, it's like, then they come out and that's one disengagement. So then you have one more. So then if you go for a third disengagement, you have to either pick him off or he has to advance because if he doesn't advance, it's a balk. And then he goes to that base regardless. So it was just crazy. And then I know now they're doing the shift where like they have to have uh, feet have to be in the dirt and you, you can't go across second base. And I mean, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm honestly curious. We didn't have that. We could still shift, but I know starting next year, it's going to be that rule for everybody. And I'm not sure how that's going to go. I'm curious as to how that's going to go, because I mean, you do have instances where it's like they're shifted, you throw a pitch and it goes right where they should have been, you know? So it's like, that's like the, like you think about it, it's like, Oh, why are they shifting? But then you get, they do a shift and the ball goes right to the guy and you're like, Oh, perfect. They were shifted in the right place. So it's like a double-edged sword in a sense. Like he's like, I mean, it's a, you're gambling basically. So I'm curious as to how that's going to go. Yeah. Cause it's going to be like for like, I think about like from the MLB level, you know, you think about guys like Cody Bellinger, um, who is somebody that the Cubs have on their radar. Not going <laughs> to talk about that here on the pod, but um, like I think about a guy like that, he's notorious for being a pull hitter and, and they obviously, you know, structured their you know defense positioning from other teams would structure that, that way. So now it's completely, you throw that book away, you throw the book out about where to put, where to pitch them because now you can't pitch them towards those, uh, areas. It's just going to be very, very interesting. And I'm, I'm curious to see, do we see a spike in offense? Because I know, I know it's probably going to happen, but how big of a spike would be really interesting to see now. The the minor leagues in the eyes of the MLB seems almost like a, a guinea pig, and it's not to be no, rude. It's yeah. just that it, a lot of things can be tried mm-hmm. because you have the opportunity to do that and to see if it's something that can work on the bigger stage. Take this off the field now. We got these uh, new rules that the MLB implemented to assist you all with your housing. How is that being perceived by minor leaguers? Is it something that's viewed as have things been viewed positively? Have you seen better experiences? I know you haven't had that long of a stint in the minor leagues, but you know guys that you played with that may have been in in the league for a couple more years. Are they saying good things about it? Like what what's been the perception so far from uh, the? Court? Yeah, definitely positive things for sure. Um, I mean, like you said, like, I talked to some of the guys that were drafted during like or signed during like those dog eras where like, they're literally like, like, I don't even know how you play through those situations. Like bad, like sleeping in their cars, like having no money, like literally had to find a place on their own. 
which is ridiculous. I mean, given the wages that we're, we make right now. Um, but yeah, definitely having, uh, the housing stuff taken care of has been like a really like big, like weight lift off our shoulders because in 21, uh, they had an apartment set up for us, but we had to pay the rent. We had like six guys in an apartment. Like I was sleeping in the living room because I came late. Like it was crazy. Like it was like literally like that was my first taste of like, wow, this is what they're talking about. But still it was better than what it was prior to that. So that was also a plus, but still taking off um, every month, you have $300 taken off of your rent for uh, your check for rent. And that part of it was like, you're losing $300 off your check. And it's like, okay, well, now I got to be really like almost stingy about what I can do and what I can buy, which is like, I mean, it's not fun. I mean, like the season's a grind. So it's like, you want to be able to do stuff on your free time, have some fun, not think about baseball the whole time. So this year, having that taken care of, just seeing that extra few hundred dollars on your check every other week and and end of the month has been like it's been awesome like huge weight like just a huge weight off our shoulders and um there's still a lot more improvement to be done but uh, as of right now in this first stages like it's definitely super helpful uh i mean everybody loves it i mean you can't really complain about it that's fantastic Awesome, man. So I think uh, just a couple more questions here and then we'll let you go because we don't want to keep you too long. But, uh, you know, being in the minors for a couple years now, you've seen a handful of players come through. And I'm sure that some of the guys you've played against at that level have already made it uh, all the way up to the league. So I got a two part question here. The first part is which player that you've played against or played with who's made it up to the big leagues? Did you know? when you played against him, like this was going to be a dude. And then second part is who's a guy that's in the minors right now that you've played against who you think is going to really shine in the future. Yeah. So um trying to think. So for like the, so for the first to start with the second one. So like, dude, like we played some, there's so many guys that like, they're like just unreal. Like, I remember we, so we played at the, in Dayton or when we, play, when we played Dayton with us, a Reds organization, they have like Ellie De La Cruz. He just got added to their 40 man roster. Like dudes, like that dude is, is flat out good. Like he's going to be special, like a really good player. And then with the Dodgers, I played against Bobby Miller. I mean, T. Lou knows Bobby. And yep. I mean, yep. dude, like that dude is going to, he's going to be a front end starter in the big leagues coming here soon and like i don't even like that i mean he's just like your typical i mean you can command it those strikes he's throws hard and yeah. those has that yeah he was in that he was in that futures game he started that futures game at the yeah. all-star game and was like sinkers 99 to 101 or 102 or whatever and uh he was a uh, a prodigy in our area for the longest yeah. time and and we had always those expectations yeah. right and he was he 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 made it all the way through and so that, that that's i i was i figured you were gonna say his name yeah. because he has just been exploding yeah. through that i mean system. like i played with bobby since i was like 12 13 years old and uh so yeah i mean i'm happy well and i'm like i mean just from seeing his stuff i mean this dude's a big leaguer so it's just like there's just no 
no doubt about it. So that was one. I think those two guys, I mean, from just seeing that. Cause I played Dela Cruz this year and just remember I threw him like a, I thought I threw him a really good pitch and he just freaking, it was a ground ball out, thankfully, but it was like a hundred plus mile an hour ground ball to the third base. And I'm like, dude, thank you. <laughs> like, sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I had to put you through that one. But yeah. Oh man. That's um, awesome. And then as for a big leaguer, uh, I'm trying to think. Cause like, well, I think some of the, so most of the teams that I've played uh, in like the Midwest league, most of them, like, I think there was one guy on the red Dayton again that made it. He, uh, he's an outfielder. Um, dude, just like every time, literally, I feel like every time we played against him, the dude just had the best week of his life. So all we saw was great stuff. And then he, <laughs> with the Reds, he made the big leagues this past year. Sorry, I can't remember his name. But I remember, I think he's pretty sure he was an outfielder. Uh, but he just like annihilated us. But then, like, yeah, but there's just so many guys that are on the yeah. cusp of being on, like, going to big league camp this coming spring training and possibly breaking with the team. But, oh, I also played against Spencer Torkelson, and he's a big leaguer now. So that, that'll be, I guess, like, that's, yeah. Oh, wow. So, he was with the Whitecaps, the West Michigan Whitecaps. And, yeah, but like, we played against him. So, yeah, I mean, of course, everyone knows him. So, yeah, that was one other person we played against. Very cool because he, yeah, people said he had a had a down year, and it's like, okay, yeah, be a rookie in the MLB. Uh, <laughs> I it it always just it crack it cracks me up when people yeah, say they're gonna things. I think about like us as Bears fans with Justin Fields, yeah, he can't do anything no. for the first two years. He's a you know he's nothing, and yeah. now he's obviously yeah. A player, they're always gonna find a way to take a, a jab. Podcast. They're gonna find a way to take a jab at you somehow, exactly. but I mean, most of those guys probably haven't played so it's kind of hard like taking from like i guarantee he's not thinking anything about it exactly right he's gonna he'll probably have a bounce bounce back year this year and they have their farm system yeah exactly as well man so well well danny you know what what i knew of you from high school and you know i read up on you in college obviously you were not just obviously from a baseball standpoint, but from a student standpoint, I know your family very well. They raised you to be this guy who, man, I'm just so excited to see what you can do with your career. But if baseball is not a thing, let's say baseball is never something that you pick up in your opinion, what are you doing right now? I would say right now, um, definitely something to do with baseball. Like still, like I love this game to like the death death of me like i love this game so much and uh i would say something to do with like uh like coaching definitely pitching being a pitching coach something like whether it's in like i like the more of like the development side of things like i really love doing that um that's something i really enjoy right now is just like how can i get better like i know like there's not gonna be always coaches around me to help me so i need to like do my own stuff research help myself so that's something i really love doing it's just like looking at like the best of the best right now in the big leagues and why are they this good? Why does Jacob DeGrom throw a hundred, 102? Why did, what makes him do this? And it's like, that's something I really like to dive into. And I feel like that's helped my game, um, especially in college too. Um, and whatnot. Um, so it's just like using that to your advantage, like letting that help you. And so I definitely see that's something that I want to do is being more on the development side of pitching development. 
Yeah, no doubt, man. You'll have that career after baseball as well when you ever, you know, hang up the cleats, man. So, Danny, you know, for the listeners, where can they follow you on social media? I'm guessing you got a Twitter or uh, Instagram that you can put out there for everyone. Yeah, uh, I got a Twitter. My at is densdan1730. And then my Instagram is at fearthegods30. <laughs> I know we should have gotten more into the GOG stuff, but I was very excited to talk to you about all these things that are happening good. in the world of baseball and what's going on in your life, man. So Danny, thanks so much, man. Uh, we really appreciate you hopping on and being our first interviewee and, uh, I hope you enjoyed it and, uh, hopefully we get you on the pod again here soon. Yeah, dude. Thanks for having me. Uh, it was a blast. I would love to come on again, again, if you guys would have me. Perfect. Thanks all so right, much, guys. man. We'll talk right. to you soon.